0: We're in Romans 8, as I mentioned. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Well, we don't like to wait, uh, especially when there are long lines. If we're in Walmart or Dylan's, we always kind of eyeball where's the shortest line? How can I get out of here fast? We hate waiting, we get stuck in traffic And we hate waiting, especially if you live in Chicago Woo! Hate hate driving in the traffic there Um, We don't like to wait for our paychecks We don't like to wait for summer vacation We can't wait um, And we get all antsy Uh, In some cases we can't wait for uh, Retirement It's hard to wait Waiting can be painful It can be very frustrating And It includes suffering. You know, you think of the prodigal son and the prodigal father and the parents waiting and praying and praying for their backslidden child, and and they have to wait in prayer, persevere. Waiting can be very painful. We're promised in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that we're going to inherit something. Now, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Heirs means we inherit something. We're inheriting something. But we inherit this something, the glory, if you will, the future glory, as we suffer As we share in his sufferings, we like the idea of inheriting things, but we really don't like the idea of suffering in the meantime. Our Christian lives, though, include suffering every bit as much as it did for Jesus and the disciples and the early church and Christians even today in other countries who are suffering, they're imprisoned, they're torn away from family members. It's a part of living for Christ on earth, being faithful we will suffer. That New Living Translation said, if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Well, Why do we have to suffer? Well, um, because we live in a fallen world, first. And a number of reasons, but another main reason is because we engage in spiritual warfare. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. They're not those in the Middle East. They're not those from communist regimes. They're not... Um, the other other party in america and politically they're not our enemies our enemies are in the unseen world you know they're powers and principalities that are seeking to wage war against us seeking to destroy us they're the evil spirits those are our enemies and we engage in spiritual warfare and oftentimes when we suffer our first inclination is to think you know what what have I done something, what, what wrong have I done to deserve this, to warrant this? And oftentimes, it's not anything that we've done wrong. In fact, it's oftentimes what we've done right. Think of the Apostle Paul, who suffered immensely. He was stoned, and he was shipwrecked, and he was beaten, and he was scourged, he was imprisoned, and ultimately, he was murdered because he was faithful to Christ and to building his church and kingdom. But he kept his eyes and mind and heart fixed on things above. He had God's perspective. So as we wait, what can we learn from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8? We can learn that we need God's perspective first and foremost. His perspective of eternity. In verse 18, Paul says, writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us i got to confess, I really haven't ever liked this verse too much. You know what? Your suffering ain't nothing, you know, because you're going to have future glory in heaven, so buck up. You know, Paul's not saying that. That's not his attitude at all. In fact, Paul often spoke of his great immense suffering that he and his, his fellow disciples had to endure and he did so being authentic and being genuine when he said, like in Philippians 2, speaking of a brother suffering, he said, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. You get the idea that, Paul, man, I don't want to suffer sorrow upon sorrow again. Or in Second Corinthians, he writes, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even life itself. Paul lived his life, despairing life, suffering. And he didn't make light of it. He didn't say, buck up, get over it, quit grieving. Paul had empathy for people and compassion for those who were suffering. When the church in Jerusalem, when they were suffering immensely and impoverished, Then Paul took up an offering amongst the other churches in order to deliver this, to alleviate their suffering. This week I read online that Mount Hope Sanctuary, no, I'm sorry, McPherson Housing Coalition. uh, McPherson Housing Coalition Ministry, they're raising funds for an older woman whose furnace went out. And they have to raise $5,000 for a new furnace, and, and someone... Uh, Fortunately donated their time free of charge to put it in but they we need five thousand dollars And so we're going to work together as a community to raise that so that we could bless this woman Because we care about those who are suffering and in great need Well, paul simply wanted to convey here that you know what? Our suffering is going to come to an end. We need not suffer without hope We need not suffer and be frustrated Because we know that glory will be revealed in us one day. That's not to negate the suffering and the grief that we need to go through and the sadness and the pain. But he said, we need not grieve as ones without hope. We can have great hope because we have something to look forward to. This glory will be revealed in us. Right now, this glory is concealed, but in the future, it will be revealed in fullness. Until then, we know that this life will include frustration and suffering and pain as we wait. C.S. Lewis put it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He said Most people, if they had really learned to look into their hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. We have this longing. And then in The Weight of Glory, he he tells us what this longing is. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, is really a hunger for God himself. You know, we have this discontent, restlessness, this longing that nothing can fill this side of heaven. Nothing yeah, we have a lot of peace and blessing and presence and, and comfort from God, but there's this, this missing something, and that missing something is being in the presence of God forever, in a perfected, glorified body. And we ought to be looking forward to that with great anticipation, which is the, f- the second focus that Paul wants us to remember We must learn to wait with anticipation in verse 19. In fact, all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, that which is concealed to be revealed. I find great comfort, for example, in knowing that my parents are experiencing this great revelation now of, of their glory in heaven. They're both gone. They both suffered Especially at the end of their lives they suffered greatly before their death But they stepped into glory and they left behind sadness and fear and loneliness and etc They left it all behind And this is what we need to remember. For example, Brianna Lance is dancing in heaven She is completely free from all her burdens and she is in perfect joy and her perfected body. And Ellen Peck's mother stepped into glory this past week. And Kelly Power's brother and Ronald's uncle and Hadley Hageman's mother-in-law. And perhaps you can think of folks who've gone before us. And we can rejoice. Yes, we're stuck in grief here. But we can rejoice that they are rejoicing. Again, it doesn't eliminate our grief, but it gives us hope. They're the fortunate ones. Verse 20 For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And that that came because of the fall. You know, the fall of humanity ushered in all this pain and grief and and, um, disease. Verse 22 We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. We see the consequences of this all over the place. you know, natural disasters like tornadoes and earthquakes and um, um, volcanic eruptions. We see pandemics and viruses. We see floods and droughts and, and famines. We have to contend with grubs in our yards and mosquitoes and, and uh, those ants that eat our wood, what are they called? Those things. We see we have to contend with thorns and and we have to eat broccoli, you know, stuff like that. It's just horrible. Uh, We see plants grow every every summer and spring, but then they wither and die. So we have the cycle of life and death and life and death. So we have to contend with this, the greatest enemy, which is death. My cousin was in perfect health when he was a B-1 bomber pilot and instructor, and he was stationed down in Wichita at the air base there, McConnell. And one morning he woke up in his probably late, late 30s, I believe, or close, maybe 40, early 40s, he woke up and he was sick. And that sickness started to attack his body everywhere, everywhere, head, stomach, joints, and over time, he said he, he felt like he was in his 90s. He could barely get out of bed. He went to military doctor after doctor after doctor, and and nobody could figure out what was wrong with him because every symptom that they tested, he he tested negative. And so they chalked it up to psychosomatic illness. And my cousin, who was an officer, he was in the air force. He was like. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going crazy. He said, but I'm hurting everywhere. I just feel like dying. And then finally, he was, one night, he was looking at, in the Internet, and he was willing to fly anywhere and go anywhere uh, to find a doctor who could help him, to Europe anywhere. And so he found a doctor, listed all the symptoms that he had been dealing with, and this doctor was fortunately in Kansas City. He went to this doctor. The doctor had the foreknowledge task, or the knowledge, ta- foresight, to ask him, Have you ever been in the wilderness prior to your illness? He said, Oh, well, yeah. I was in training in the wilderness. He said, I think you have something. I'll tell you the rest of the story in a minute. My cousin had to hold on to hope as he waited, which is the third emphasis that Paul the apostle had. Hold on to the hope. He said, In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom and the glory of the children of God. Creation will one day be uh, delivered and liberated from its bondage to decay. And one day we'll experience the return to what we're intended to experience, uh, the pre-fall Paradise when the new heaven and the new earth will be ushered into our world, and we'll live there for eternity without pain and suffering. Well, my cousin held on to hope for this freedom from his illness. And the last doctor visited him, asked him that simple question, have you been in the wilderness? My cousin said, yeah. He said, you've got Lyme's disease which is like the counterfeit, they call it, or something, the counterfeiter disease. It attacks all of your body and, and moves and changes everywhere. And so he was treated for this tick bite that he had gotten a couple years earlier, and within days, he was back to normal. His trust in God deepened during this two-year stint of suffering as he waited, waited in hope. Student-athletes are willing to persevere through a lot of difficult, hard, painful practice sessions of swimming lap after lap. I was a diver, and so I dove in between them. I had it easy. But these swimmers, man, they just suffered because they had a goal in mind. This meet's coming up. We want to beat them. I want to win my medal. I want my personal best time. And then runners, long-distance runners, they just in the summer, they're running and they're practicing and they're, um, they're getting in shape and they're sweating. Their lungs are burning. They're willing to endure all of that because of the competition upcoming and the trophy or medal that they could win. Um, college students and grad students are willing to sit through class after class and write paper after pa- paper and, and pull these all-nighters because in mind they have their dream job that they're pursuing. And then farmers are willing to expend great amounts of energy and sleeplessness and sacrifice in hopes for a fruitful harvest. But if there was no hope of a trophy, of a job, or a harvest at the end, then few of us would be willing to sacrifice and persevere through the trials. We'd be like, hey, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. Let's make the most of this life. If there's no eternity, Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're the most foolish people on the earth if there's no everlasting life to look forward to. And if we don't believe in that, then live any way you want to live. Just be happy. Do what makes you happy and forget about others. And that's the philosophy of the world. Paul says we'd be most pitied as Christians because we live for all this moral stuff on earth and try to be the best we can be and we kind of suffer and put others first he so said we're most to be pitied if there's no eternal life but we're willing to suffer with Jesus because we have hope that we have a real and eternal home in heaven and that, that in fact how we live here on earth will even determine how we will live in heaven we'll be rewarded so hang on to hope This kind of biblical hope is a certainty that God will fulfill his unseen promises. It's not a wishful thinking hope. I hope the chiefs beat the Bengals. And we mostly all hope that today, but we're not certain that it will happen today. We hope it will. I hope that the Bills won last week. My hopes were crushed. This is a world hope. The biblical hope is a certainty that because we believe in the one who gives us the promises of hope. Um, verse 24 In this we hope we are saved But hope that is seen is no hope at all Who hopes for what is alre- we already have But if we hope for what we do not yet have We wait for it patiently We're willing to wait We're willing to endure and persevere It's often difficult to hope for what we don't see But we can find hope in what we don't see because we know the one who gives us hope and makes the promises. Like every year as a kid, I I hoped for Christmas. Hoped in the sense that I can't wait for my Christmas presents. I can't wait when we wake up early Christmas morning and see all the Christmas presents under the tree and our stockings filled and I could barely sleep on Christmas Eve. I hope for this, not hoping, oh, Mama, I hope I get some socks Christmas no I knew I'd get socks and underwear but I knew I'd get a host of other presents I knew that because my hope was a certainty it was an expectation because I knew my parents I knew my parents were generous and they were giving and I knew my mother loved to shop like my wife and so there was a lot of presents and, uh, and we, we, just three presents this year then three presents uh, get a few more and whatever you know so we are kind of materialistic I do repent but I was raised that way. And after my, my parents both died, my dad, my dad and then my mother died, then we learned that my dad had this inheritance or this, these stocks that we had no idea he invested in. The four of us kids, we got this surprise call like, holy smokes, my dad was an investor? We had no idea he was that organized, ever. Came as a shock to us. And so we were able to split this this little inheritance that we got, and it was pretty significant for us and for my siblings. And so when we got this recently, we were shocked and we were surprised. But then again, we weren't surprised because we knew our parents. Our parents were generous. They always gave to us, and they even provided in this way for us after their death. We know our Heavenly Father, we know that he's generous. He's always giving. He's always wanting to pr- provide for us because he always has. He's always been faithful to us through the pain, through the valleys and on the mountaintops. He's always giving, and he giveth, and he giveth, and he giveth again, as the hymn says. But sometimes when we don't, we don't feel very hopeful, and so we need to lean on his promises. We don't feel like God is giving us what we need or want, And so we lean on his promises with great hope. There are hundreds of prophetic promises that were answered with pinpoint accuracy of Jesus' first coming. You know, scholars and theologians can look in the Old Testament and say, holy smokes, there's a lot of prophecies about it. But did you know that there are three times more? Well, let me just read. Tim LaHaye said this. No scholar of academic substance denies that Jesus lived almost 2,000 years ago. And we find three times as many prophecies in the Bible relating to his second coming as to his first. Thus, the second advent of our Lord is three times as certain as his first coming, which can be verified as a historical fact. Verse 31, Paul writes, "'If God is for us, who can be against us? "'He who did not spare his own Son "'but gave him up for us all,' How will he not also along with him, the Son, graciously give us all things? Paul offers us then a few promises, specific promises, as we wait. And these are encouraging. The first promise is that God's Spirit will intercede for us. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait Eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Notice it doesn't say the redemption from our bodies. These bodies are getting older with all the aches and pains, and you know, high blood pressure. You know, we're not redeemed from our bodies. Our bodies, when they're glorified, it's the redemption of our bodies. These bodies will be made new and perfect for all eternity. I will recognize you in heaven, and you'll recognize me, but I will have thicker hair. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're going to look our best in heaven at the ideal age, and we'll recognize each other. We've all read stories of those who have experienced heaven near-death experiences, and they recognize people. Yes, Grandpa, but doesn't wear glasses anymore, and looks a lot younger than his pictures. You know, we've heard stories like that. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So Paul says we are groaning in our pain, but then the Spirit intercedes for us in wordless groans, groans without words. As you remember that this past spring and fall, for I took a sabbatical for three and a half months, and uh, I was in pain. I was sick physically, dealt with COVID and dealt with other stuff, um, and I kept going to the doctor, didn't know what was wrong with me, and then And then that led to emotional sickness where I felt anxious and and I felt paralyzed, which led to spiritual doubt and shame because I shouldn't be feeling this way, which then led to social uh, sickness. I didn't want to be around people for a time. And I was a mess, wasn't I? I was a mess. Yes, I was. And I was stuck. I lost 25 pounds, which made me actually look better. But there were times when I didn't know how to pray during this time I didn't even feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading the Bible. I didn't feel like worshiping I didn't feel like doing anything but laying there taking walks, maybe doing yard work. I didn't feel like Anything the only thing I could do was groan And it was pathetic, you know, I just groaned and I cried and I wailed and I said what is going on with me? What's wrong? This promise that from God's word from Romans 8 ministered to me in an incredible way. God gave me permission to groan and weep. And in fact, he said, you know what? I'm going to take your groan straight to the throne of heaven. And the Holy Spirit interceded for me in wordless groans. But not only the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So as I laid there in a pathetic state, I could envision Jesus talking to God the Father on my behalf, hearing my groans and whimperings. He does that. So that's a promise. He intercedes for us. The second promise Paul gives us is, our suffering will not be wasted. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Joseph Stoll tells a story of how when he was a kid, he he was the president of Moody Bible Institute, but when he was a kid, he was sparring with his friend, messing around, and his friend happened to whack him right in the teeth, you know, in the mouth. And as a result, one of his front uh, teeth came loose. So Joseph Stoll had to go to the dentist, and thankfully the dentist was able to anchor the tooth back in again, and he didn't lose his tooth, he said. But in fact, I was better off because... The tooth, which had always been crooked, it was now straight. And he concludes, sometimes the blows of life have a way of taking something that's crooked and making it straight. Romans 8:28 says, God works all things out for the good. He doesn't say all things are good. A lot of things are evil that come into our life. But he takes even the evil that comes in and he takes it and he he reshapes it. He, he, uh, what's the word? He recycles it, you know, like the stinky garbage that we have in our recycling is taken, and it's recycled, and it's used for something good, and that's what he does with, a de- with evil, a- and even with death. He recycles our losses, and he makes them for the good, our weaknesses, our sufferings, our injustices against us, and what's his ultimate purpose? to make us like Jesus, in verse 29. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's his ultimate purpose for each one of us, that we be made like Jesus. And I know from many missionaries and uh, from reading many missionary stories, mission books in my office, that uh, if you want to really meet someone who's truly Christ-like, filled with radiant joy and peace, then then take a mission trip and go into countries where Christianity is illegal, and those who are taking a stand for Christ there, then you'll see true passion, you'll see true joy and true peace, even in the midst of all their suffering. And, grief and, and trial because God has taken all the evil that's unleashed against them in those, in those closed countries and, and he's making them more and more like Jesus as they depend on him and that's what he does to us as well and then, then there's one final promise and i will be done Paul says God will be with us as we wait and we know this from verses 35 and 37 I'll give you a brief story before that though in 40 years each week this shy Welshman went to his neighbor's door and slipped a love note under her door but because of an argument that happened years and years ago she refused to acknowledge him or even speak to him so for 40 years he was rejected But he was faithful to slip a note under her door. That was 2,184 love letters with no response of any kind. The 74-year-old man went to the door one day, knocked on it, asked the 74-year-old woman um, when she finally opened it, will you marry me? To his surprise, she said, okay. So at age 74, they tied the knot. Man, that persistent love is the kind of love that God has for us. When we reject him, when we turn away from him, when we ignore him, when we do our own thing, when we turn to our own devices for happiness, God persistently pursues us and loves us. And even when we're suffering and waiting, um, when he's waiting in the face of rejection and pain, He loves us. And that's the type of love he has for us. It changes our lives. And so we're called to wait as well. We're called to wait. Um, But we don't have to wait alone because he's with us. In verse 35, "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?" knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his promise. He promises to remain with us as we wait in our frustration and in our pain. He promises that that He will intercede for us when we can't even pray and we're just gro- and groaning in grief. And He promises that uh, we can have hope as we wait. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do need hope. You know, we had a really hard week here at Countryside and a lot of our lives have been touched by the grief of death and loss. But we thank you, Jesus, that you overcame death, your greatest enemy, when you rose again, and you're the firstfruits of this glory that we may follow after you. Upon our physical death, we go straight in our spirits to you to one day anticipate our new spiritual perfected body. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice that our loved ones are rejoicing. Even now as we're sitting here, we can picture them in perfected glory and and peace and joy because they're with you and reunited with their loved ones and all their brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the world. They are rejoined with them even now, and we can find hope and comfort in that even as we suffer loss and, and grief. So Lord, give us your perspective and just help us uh, to be faithful to you and cling to that hope, I pray. Amen.